Bird to your mother, it's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just a couple of feathery brethren weathering any season to see the Eagles eating teams like bacon, steaks, and cheese. It's Philadelphia, Boeing shielding the cut, kicking it cooler than two penguins till Bo's old arch nemesis. Greg Cosell shows up and it gets real. Pull up a branch and chill, it's time to get ill with some Birds with Friends. The early bird skips the worm and prefers getting turned like a turn on some Birds with Friends. Bo Wolf and Coming at you with stats and things, flapping their wings. Now I'm gonna have the rest of my life with these kids. Wow. Get, we gotta get that in a drop uh, immediately. Let's edit that one out. That didn't come out quite There's no editing. No, no editing yeah, on this that's podcast. That's the wonderful Birds with Friends. No editing. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Birds with Friends on this Tuesday evening. Me in my basement, Sheila Kapadia in his. And Zach Berman, where uh, where are you exactly? I'm in a home office right now. Mm, the home office. Uh, well, we are uh, we are here to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and maybe some other things. Uh, we will do a little bird it through the grapevine, talk about uh, what Zach learned today at the Novacare Complex, a little bird on the street, re, uh, unpacking the Malik Jackson injury. It turns out that he most likely has a Liz Frank injury and will probably be out for the season. He has already been placed on injured reserve. By the Eagles, they signed Akeem Spence today to replace Jackson and uh, also have another spot open on the roster after waving Alex Ellis. We'll do a new game called Bullfinch, and then we will close with your questions and bird it through the grapevine. But uh, I think we have to start. I am, like, very curious about what the last, uh, I guess, 48 hours, 72 hours-ish have been like for Mr. Kapadia in his first week on the National Beat. What have, what's your setup? What have you been doing? Uh, you, you know, are you covered in potato chips? What's the deal? I wish we are lacking in chips at the Capadia household mm. right now. So that is something we will remedy for week two. You know, I took my daughter. I had to go pick up my daughter today at five. And I realized it was the first time I had been outside in roughly like 57 <laughs> hours. Uh, that's uh, the kind of stuff that we're looking forward to by week uh, by week. Uh, just as just I think at the time where Zach is going to is going to flip on me at some point, that will be the same time. <laughs> When Sheil starts building his uh, homemade devices uh, that that you know keep him outside completely from the outside world, I'll be okay. I think it's a matter of getting the rhythm down of what I'm uh, being asked to do, what I'm supposed to do, where I need to be. But uh, I, I went out Sunday morning, came home, and uh, then it was just um, you know a lot of watching and writing. For the next couple days. So, so were you watching Red Zone? Were you bouncing between games? What were you doing? Well, the 1 o'clock games, I, I have multiple monitors, and so mm. I had on Red Zone and the Eagles for the 1 o'clock games. And nice. then for the 4 o'clock games, there were two that were on. There was Colts Chargers and Giants Cowboys, so I had each of those on a monitor, and then I had a Red Zone on uh, another monitor. And then, of course, you get the Thursday night, you get Three the Sunday monitors. night. Three monitors must be nice. Uh, you know, you get the two Monday nighters week one. So I was able to kind of isolate, uh, all those and watch them. But I, I did have my column due, uh, late last night, early this morning. And so I, I had to DVR the Monday night games and then kind of catch up, mm. uh, as the night went on. How about that? Uh, how about that Saints game? Huh? There you go. Uh, Zach, how are you? I'm doing great. Excited for this podcast. Do you, I, I know now you have been getting just, uh, destroyed. <laughs> For uh, the kiss the ring comment, and I do I do hope that uh, the two of you, as we start this podcast, kiss the ring of the champion of the beat writers. 
but uh, you... yes, I I do want to make a statement about that. Okay, uh, Moa culpa, if you will. Yes, I'm not about the champion of the beat writers. That you are. Uh, this is more about Kiss the ring. Thank you. The the, the Patriots comment uh, was, I, I I did not phrase that well. Did not articulate the point that I was trying to get across. I I, I stand by saying Tom Brady's probably the best quarterback ever uh, you know the accomplishments Top of tom 10, brady i'm not gonna take anything away from him but certainly i i don't want to come off as as like a patriots apologist and there are things about that organization that rightfully should be criticized uh so the kiss the ring comment was was not a good one that that was more i think we were on hour 13 of work that day it was 11 o'clock at night and uh i i spoke now, I, I guess I was trying to be funny. Was not funny. Did, did not come off. I thought it was way. funny, and I got to say, I, I don't, I don't agree with what you're doing now. I think you got to fully lean in and and no, no, just no, be no. the I, complete I, heel. I, I want to be straight up, and also the Roger Goodell thing. Um, I, I don't want to come <laughs> off like a, li- a league lackey. There, that was simply a case of you I thought was I was not, making too much of it. Yeah, I was not offended by the video. It, it was 90 seconds of my life, as 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 you know, <laughs> Bo. Not many things kind of get me. Um, agitated per se. So, uh, so I don't think you were. I don't. I don't think that, you have to apologize for that. Yeah, that, that rolled off my shoulder. But, but I, I certainly um, don't want to come off like a league apologist in in that regard. And I am, I am frankly um, flattered and appreciative of of all the interest people are taking in everything in the podcast. I, I was actually, I was walking um, on South Street yesterday. I, I had just taken my son for a haircut we were going to get i'm um, get water ice and there was a person there uh his name's julian stopped me and said he was actually listening to the podcast as he was walking nice so I appreciate julian yeah so it's 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 been uh it's been nice hearing so many listeners and and know that a comment made still resonate Okay, uh, let me uh, let let me step in here. There is no need to apologize. No need to apologize. This, this is, is classic Bo. You know, as I've said, pandering to his audience and then getting all the minions to tweet at you. And uh, it it was very funny. There was nothing wrong with it. <laughs> it was fine. I laughed. I thought it was great that you were coming back at him. So don't worry about that at all. You know, Bo, this is what Bo does. He tries to sort of turn the tables on the co-host. He, you know, he tries to make sure he's got enough support. I mean, he he's like the he's the kind of guy who like if, if tomorrow he start, you know, he got transferred to New England to cover the Patriots. I mean, he would be leading that podcast with how great Tom. Brady oh, that is false. And, you know, that. No, 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 no. If there is anything, so, you know that I'll keep it real. Uh, no, I don't know that. I don't know that. So uh, you have nothing to apologize uh, this is, for. I'm offended by this. <laughs> and also, uh, you know, and so some notes I was taking here to, you know, give it to Bo since, he, you know, he, he's given it to you. I mean, geez, Bo, can you even walk down the street anymore without people mobbing you about, uh, you know, who you are and birds with friends and the athletic and everything? Yes, My gosh. I know. I know. Are you wearing a disguise now? Do you have like the, I glasses, told the you. mustache and everything? Well, yeah, twice in two years, I think, is not not too high of a uh, of a rate of being recognized. And that one of them I wasn't even there for. Okay. Well, I felt like I, you know, I've got a lot of notes here, but I do have a lot of Eagles thoughts too. If we want to get to that. Okay. Well, why don't we why don't we start with uh, what happened today? Um, I was not at the Novacare Complex, so Zach, why don't you take us through what we learned from Jim Schwartz, 
Mike Groh, and the locker room. Yeah, so we'll we'll start with Jim Schwartz because the biggest news of the day is on the defensive side of the ball. Malik Jackson out for the year, or it, it certainly sounds that way, was put on injured reserve, has the Liz Frank injury. Uh, the Eagles added Akeem Spence. But um, Jim Schwartz kind of said that, that they're – you know they're looking at a f- at a few different things there. Whether it's moving end inside, he didn't completely rule that out. But uh, Tim Jernigan's a player who they're real high on. Um, that was clear two years ago. That, wait a second. Wait a second. Been- Shield's going to come at you for saying they're high on him. Uh, bullish about is that better? <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> no, that's the exact okay. same thing. It's just <laughs> it's just a synonym. Well, look, and I wrote this in our in our beat back and forth when the Eagles acquired Tim Jernigan in 2017. And when they gave him that contract extension, the plan wasn't for him to be a first and second down player. Then, you know, they thought he had pass rush potential. Uh, It was just kind of the the nature of the rotation then. And then last year was a completely lost year almost. So. Okay, but hold on, hold on. I have to now. I do have to chime in because mm-hmm. that that was then, and since then, he suffered this mysterious yes neck slash back injury in which he said he didn't know if he was ever going to play football again. And to the point where he was able to go out and test the free agent market, and nobody even wanted to uh, you know take a sniff of this guy. And they brought him back at a very very cheap price. Very. And so now, uh, you know, now of course, now they have no choice. I mean, they have to say, yeah, you know, he's going to come in and play well. But, uh, you know, I, I do think I hear what you're saying. If this were, you know, right after they signed him to that extension and there was an injury like this and he was playing, then we could make the case that, yes, Jernigan's a guy they're, they're high on and that he's going to step in and play right away. But I think these are very uh, quite different circumstances. I agree. I'm I'm merely relaying what was uh, said today. Uh, I I am skeptical of. I, I I think this is a big concern right now. Is their defensive line and their pass rush. Uh, so that's something that stood out there. The uh, he was asked about the Falcons. Said it's a little different going on the road. Uh, in terms of the the big play. The 69-yarder that was given up, and then also the near big play, both by Terry McLaurin. Um, Jim Schwartz said that there was pressure on both plays, and he's done this before with us, where he says everyone wants to blitz until they go long, um, which it's it's not mutually exclusive. You know, you could get home on the blitz too, right? <laughs> uh, but none, uh, nonetheless, that I, I think Jim Schwartz sometimes kind of wants to keep that in his back pocket for when he doesn't blitz, you know? Uh, so that's what stood out from Jim Schwartz. With he also Mike. said he also said that uh, he, in a, in a perfect world, would not like to have a cornerback rotation. At some point, he would like to settle on some starters. That's correct, but it doesn't yet. seem they're at that point yet. No, but I think that's at least a, a, a little bit interesting. I that mean, obviously, a, that- but. Yeah, that was a very strange way to handle it. I mean, uh, a corner. We saw the left guard rotation. You know, there are there are some positions I feel like you can do that for. But cornerback, like going into a game with a plan that we're going to play this guy in the first half and this guy in the second half, like what if that were a close game? What if Rasul Douglas was lights out in the first half? Well, that's why I don't really believe it. Okay. Oh, you don't believe it. Okay. I mean, I I mean, he's, you know, Doug said that the plan was to have Sidney Jones play the second half for Rasul Douglas, but I'm not so sure that that's true. Well, the way Jim Schwartz said it today, it was that the plan, the plan might have been to get Jones out there earlier, but they had to put Jones oh. in the slot. 
That I believe. That yes. makes more sense to me. So when Avante came on, it kind of changed what what they were doing okay. in terms of that rotation. That I'm makes sorry, that makes much on. more sense. Did I lose you guys? I'm still uh, here. Oh, okay. I, I'm here. Yeah, I think I lost you for a second. Now, uh, Akeem Spence, who can give me the, the the Cliff Notes version on this guy? I I can unless unless Bo wants to take it. Uh, well, you can go ahead, but I, I I've got some stuff in front of me. He uh, you know. He started 16 games for the Dolphins last year, where uh, Matt Burke was the Dolphin, or the uh, Dolphins defensive coordinator last year, and now the Eagles' sort of uh, like unknown assistant, who they don't let us talk to, but he's sort of a Jim Jim Schwartz consigliere. Uh, he started all 16 games for the Dolphins last year. Two sacks, uh, nine quarterback hits. I looked at his uh, sort of his you know his pass rush rate, the you know, the Capadia pass rush index, and it was just at about. 3.6% of the time when he was rushing the passer, he got a uh, quarterback hit or sack, uh, which is pr- fairly low. That's sort of in line. That's I mean, that's lower than what Jernigan was in 2017. Um, and he's a bit of a journeyman. Obviously, there's a reason that he was on the street um, a- after week one. A, jur- a journeyman, not a Jernigan. <laughs> that's correct. Uh, okay. Uh, that's, a, that's a Bo Wolf uh, dropping out of you. Uh, he, he, so, I mean, he, he started a lot of games over the last two years. He started 11 games for the Lions in 2017 and was uh, even less productive than he was uh, with the Dolphins. But, uh, I mean, he's a warm body. That's, that's what, I, what I've got. What else do you have, uh, Zach? Yeah, I think you hit on the head there. He's an experienced player, 57 career starts, I believe, 10 and a half sacks. Uh, he's, he's been around. So you're, you're, you're not signing – and undrafted you're not signing Bruce Hector like you're not promoting Bruce Hector from the practice squad you're signing a player who has been there done that before you don't know how good he is but this has kind of been the Eagles MO with signings during the season in the past two years you know you saw it with LRB a few years ago uh you saw them make some of these moves last year I would year expect where they- I mean I think their expectations must be higher than they were for LRB Elby was their starting base Mike that that you yeah, played like something. four snaps a game. Yeah. yeah. Um but uh point is that this is some uh, you know, he's not gonna be ahead of Jernigan. I don't even know if he's gonna be ahead of Ridgeway. Yeah. But I, I, I do think he's he's someone who's who's gonna be dressing on Sundays. Well, I do think, uh, you know, one of my takeaways from uh, I was able to watch the film today, except for the last drive. uh, And I think you guys did talk about this already after the game. But upon second watch, you know, this was sort of an unimpressive. uh, I think you could even categorize it as disappointing performance out of the pass rush. And it is only week one. Fletcher Cox was getting his, um, you know, his first kind of football action there but yeah I think we all thought going into that game that they were really going to be able to get after Case Keenum and I thought he was very comfortable back there and and this continues to be kind of the one area of the team that you look at and say is it going to be good enough with the way they want to play and I did not uh, live at least think that it was the case where it was you know uh, like Tampa week two last year where Case Keenum was getting the ball out super quickly and the pass rush just didn't have time to get there I thought that he was uh, I haven't looked at the uh, time to throw stats yet, but it did not seem to me that he was, uh, you know, getting the ball out super quick. 
Uh, I would agree with that. I haven't looked at those stats either, but I mean, yeah, there there are some plays like that, obviously. But I mean, they were attacking downfield. He wasn't just throw, you know, uh, taking right. the snap and getting rid of the ball. They were running play action, and he was taking deep drops and all those different things. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it, it's something to certainly keep an eye on as we look ahead to Week Two against the Falcons, who do not have a great offensive line who are banged up there as well. I think in that game, you're going to need to be better up front to kind of contain Matt Ryan and those wide receivers. So why don't we unpack the whole, the whole Malik Jackson thing now while we're, while we're on the topic um, as we talk about Akeem Spence as well. Uh, you know, I mean, this is something that we have talked about from a team building perspective all off season that the way that the Eagles want to play, it does not seem like they necessarily have the horses uh, on the, on the outside, especially uh, to play that they want to play and, and have the, the you know, four guys, uh, a cascading group of guys all getting after the quarterback and letting seven players play pass coverage, uh, you know, basically on 85% of the snaps. Uh, and this was, and, and, and one of the things that people said in response, and uh, you know, no offense to Zach, but that Malik Jackson was going to solve some of these issues. They, they didn't need as much help on the outside. Well, uh, so much for that now. And absolutely. And I think that I think that there it's it's very reasonable to question uh, how what Howie Roseman has has uh, had here as the week one group of defensive ends. And he said during roster cutdowns, you know, at some point we need to bet on our young guys and that's what they're doing. But, uh, you know, it seems an odd time for them to do that, considering the roster, the, the sort of short term roster choices they've made elsewhere. Uh, now, that that said, maybe he's got a, you know, a. Uh, rabbit up his sleeve. I think we can talk about the Chris Long possibility, but um, I don't know. I mean, after after week one, it certainly doesn't look like they have a great group of pass rushers. Shield? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think it's going to be maybe as good, you know, certainly not as good as it was in 2017. I mean, I think so much is riding on Derek Barnett right now. I, I thought he flashed at times in that game. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was pretty good in that game, I thought. But he sort of needs to take a leap. Yes, he wasn't. He, he was fine. He wasn't. You need him to be better than that. You know, I think he had three quarterback hits. One was when Keenum, it was like a bootleg and he scrambled outside the pocket and you got a hit on him. Well, you know, that's not like something you won. He had one really nice inside pass rush where he did hit Keenum and then he did draw a holding penalty on another uh, on another one, which I, you know, I always say that kind of counts for something. You're making them lose uh, 10 yards. So uh, I think you need him to step up. Fletcher Cox, you know what you're getting. Brandon Graham was you know, I, I really don't remember a play where he got near uh, Case Keenum as a pass rusher. Yeah, in that he had game. some good plays as a as a run defender. Yes, but, yeah, yeah, he had a couple of really nice ones. Uh, but in terms of pass rush, there wasn't much there. And really, we looked at it even last year. Remember when they signed him to the contract? It was like, okay, they're yeah. betting on him uh, being a little better than he has been. Even if you look at hits and sacks and everything last year, he was not great. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's. I wouldn't say it's reason to panic. You know, if you have to on third down play Graham, Cox, Barnett, and, uh, you know, what, who, whichever other person you want to name, whether it's um, Vinnie Curry or one of these other guys, uh, you know, that has the potential to still be, I think, an above average unit. Does it have the potential to be an elite unit? You would kind of need a throwback season from Graham and you would need Barnett to really uh, take the leap there. And you're certainly not as deep in terms of being able to rotate guys. Uh, in and out. Yeah, I think this is a major problem. 
I, I, I think this is going to be a big storyline going forward here. Now, you obviously couldn't have expected a Malik Jackson injury, so it's not necessarily poor planning in, in the sense of if you lose one of your 10 highest-paid players anywhere on the field, it's going to have an effect on you. Sure. Uh, that being said, the the reality is when they – lost a backup quarterback who who really wasn't, you know, who you don't know if he's even going to play that year. They had this sense of urgency in signing Josh McCown. I think, and, that's, a, I think that's a very good point. And here, this is a more important position. Um, your defense is built around your pass rush. The defensive ends are going to be on the field. The Eagles are really counting on Vinnie Curry having a rejuvenative season. Uh, Tim Jernigan doing the same. And I don't know if you can really rely on that. So I think this is something that uh, it's a big story now, obviously, but I think this is going to be a bigger story week six, week eight. And what I would compare it to is last year, Mike Wallace goes down week two and it completely changed the offense. It changed the shape of the offense, changed the way they played, and Malik Jackson's injury has the potential to, to do the same for this defense. Yeah, I, I, I do think they have some time. You know, I don't think it's a move where you have to be on the phone today with a GM saying, hey, you know, we want to make an aggressive move for one of your pass rushers. Uh, because I think, I don't know what the percentage chance is. It might not be high, but I think if you want to take a chance and say, let's see how the uh, Josh Sweat, Jernigans, Deshaun Hall, I mean, whoever's going to play Vinnie Curry inside, let's see how they look like for the next, um, you know, maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's four weeks. I don't know what the time period is. Let's see what it looks like with this defense. And then at, at that time, we'll go have a conversation with Jim Schwartz and we'll say, do we need to make a move for someone and be aggressive here? Or can you kind of make this work? I mean, this even goes back to uh, last year, you know, Bo, you had the shameless plug of your flock trial win uh, during the post game pod, which I was mean, really embarrassing, really embarrassing. But anyway, uh, you know, Listen, last you, year, you, you are famously saying that nobody's listening. No one will remember. And uh, I, on the other hand, am keeping the receipts. Oh, people remember. I can assure you. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, there, you know, last year we were what midway through the season, 10 weeks into the season where we said this defense doesn't look good. And Jim Schwartz has kind uh, of earned the benefit. It was earlier. Okay. Six weeks. I don't know. Whatever. How do you think I pay attention to this nonsense? Uh, And, you know, at some point they turned it around and, you know, part of it was because guys got injured and the backups played better. But I do think he's sort of earned the benefit of the doubt to, hey, give him some time, see if he can figure it out. It does make me nervous when you talk about, you know, would they have to change the defense? Because if there has been a weakness of Jim Schwartz and this goes back to last year, like they've been a terrible blitzing team. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if you look at their numbers when they had to blitz last year, I know there were times when people wanted them to blitz more and be less predictable. Uh, like when they did blitz, it was really ugly. Uh, you know, if you look at whatever metrics you want to look at. So either if you're going to change things up, you know, that, that has to change all of a sudden. And now you're looking at just totally overhauling your defensive philosophy, which I don't think Schwartz wants to do. Uh, and I don't think they want to do what you call Chris Longshield. Uh, for a job or to like be on the podcast or uh, go see uh, a... for a job. Uh, I think I would. I know some people think he looked, you know, really washed up last year. And I, I think if you look at how the Eagles approached it, 
you probably think that they kind of felt like that, right? I mean, if they felt like he was going to, uh, he had another year of good pass rush production in, in him, then maybe they don't make the Malik Jackson move and they say, okay, we've got our guy who can fill in. Uh, I thought he was, I think he's a little savvier and he kind of knows, uh, he obviously knows how to rush the passer on third down. I think he would be better than what you currently have. And so I would not be opposed to uh, making that, that kind of move. Yeah, I think if you tell me like you can you can bring back Chris Long or Connor Barwin, like I would much rather have Chris That's Long. That's a no-brainer to me. But but I also like I do think that we have to be careful about just assuming that Chris Long could come in and like right away make a difference. Like even if even if he had been training all offseason to be ready to play, there's no guarantee that he would still be good at his age. And uh, you know who knows what he's been doing. And I know, Zach, you got some questions about uh, the, the drug test policy. I think that they would not have to worry about that. Is that correct? Your understanding? Yeah, so so the, the drug test for... Smoking if uh, you got them, you know? Yeah, for like substance abuse or, or, or substances, I should say, not abuse, but substances, are, uh, are there's a window from... April twentieth of all days. Uh, to like, that is really funny. <laughs> to early August, and the drug testing you hear during the season is for PEDs. So I'm I'm not sure what the protocol is when you get signed off the street, but I I know players aren't tested uh, for marijuana. Let's say during the season. Let's say yeah. I I think what I would do is maybe give him a call. Gauge his interest, say, hey, you know, are, are you uh, in shape? Are you interested? But then I think I would wait and I would say, Let, let's touch base in maybe three weeks, maybe a month from now with no promises because, you know, let's say one of these young guys. Yeah, I don't know. The podcast uh, life is, uh, is very uh, seductive. He may, not, he may not be available in a couple of weeks. That's, that's true. But, you know, let's I say. I would argue it's not as seductive as people think. <laughs> Let's say one of the young guys plays well or you figure it out like you don't want to bring him in and then all of a sudden right. you're uh, benching him for somebody. I mean, we know he was not happy about the way uh, things ended. So I, I don't think you would rush to make that move right now. Probably. I don't know if you guys disagree. No, I do. I do agree with that. I would certainly consider because I, I do think he can still help you on third downs exclusively. Maybe you know, I, I think what Howie Roseman said has merit. You're developing Josh Sweat. You're developing, ostensibly developing Deshaun Hall. I know he only got here last year. He's 24 years uh, old. That's fair to yeah. say. But uh, you still don't know on either player. And this isn't, uh, uh, th- these are high leverage situations. When you're on the field on third and eight in the third quarter, that's a high leverage situation. Uh, so is that when you want to find out? That, that's, that's the question I think they're asking themselves in the building right now. Yeah, it's a good point. It's not like you're losing a run-stuffing defensive tackle or a off-the-ball linebacker. Uh, yeah, these are going to be big plays where if they, you know, if the Falcons are whatever seven for eleven on third down uh, on Sunday night, and some of them come late in the game and it costs you the game, and there's no pass rush, then yeah, people are gonna, we're going to be rightfully talking about that uh, right away. But I do think the point is that the the Malik Jackson, like I know they signed Akeem Spence, but to me the replacement for Malik Jackson is not another defensive tackle. It is they need somebody else to step up on the outside because the remedy is to play Brandon Graham 
and or Vinnie Curry inside more on, on passing downs when it would have been Malik Jackson next to Fletcher Cox. Yeah, at this point, I would not play Brandon Graham inside because I don't think you have that edge rusher that, that, that you need who is giving you the edge rushing production. I now, think I disagree. I would rather, okay. you, you, like third and eight, you know they're passing. I would rather have Brandon Graham inside and, I don't know, Josh Schwetter, Deshaun Hall outside than Brandon Graham outside and Hassan Ridgeway inside. How about Tim Jernigan? I mean, I guess I'd, you know, I'd give him a few, but I, th- I feel like that's a little bit less, uh, less high upside. I could have just said lower upside. <laughs> but um, no, that's, it's a valid question. I, I don't have the answer for it. The fact that it's a question right now, though, is, is a concern for the Eagles. Let's, uh, let's be honest. This, is, this defense, if, if, if this defense does not get to the quarterback, they're very adequate. Now, I, I, I know you can say that about most defenses, but just look where the Eagles look where their money's allocated. Look where the success has come. This is not a team that that is like the Ravens, for instance, where they're going to hold you in coverage. Um, this is a team that that needs to win at the line of scrimmage. I think that's right. I mean, and and obviously there is a very good chance that we are sort of overreacting to one bad game, uh, and that is an easy thing to do after one week. But I was looking at the just the team uh, wide stats on uh, the Kapadia pass rush index. And listen, I'm giving you credit for this, Shield, the, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the KPI. As a team last year, they had a sack or a quarterback hit on 25.5% of pass plays. In 2017, it was 22%. In week one against Washington, it was 16.7%. So I think that just tells you the story that it wasn't, it wasn't just our eyes. Like, it was indeed a, a bad game for them. Yep. That's all. Uh, the other thing, the last thing on Malik Jackson is just like I like to think of the the injuries that hit a team as like you know it's sort of like a roulette wheel and you're going to get hit with a certain amount of injuries no matter what and you know we talked about this with Joe Osman so like if Joe if one of them is Joe Osman that's a, like that's a pretty good result uh, so you know it gets, it's not it's, for Joe Osman <laughs> not for Joe Osman but from a team building perspective uh, and so like it, it's not great that that Malik Jackson is out for the season most likely, but like of the 22 starters, if one of them was going to get hit with one, it's, it's probably like on the lower end of hurting you. I think. Do you think this is the beginning of the Berman curse? Have I passed on? <laughs> well, we were, curse? we were talking about this. I think you may, I think that Capote curse is still alive and well, I but think I think, so. I think this was certainly the first example of the Berman bewitching. Okay. Berman bewitching. Very so good. who's who's next on that list? Uh, well, Sidney we, Jones. I we, think. Sidney Jones. Sydney Jones. Yeah, we can. Only... If Sidney Jones gets hurt, I'm not. That, I mean, that's not because of me, frankly. <laughs> we can only hope that the New England Patriots will be next. Uh, perhaps the entire continent of Asia. Uh, <laughs> that has to. Yeah, that has to make it into a drop. That was. Uh, I went to Asia. That's all. I want. That, I want that in one of our intros. I, we can get to that later. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I think that you should keep this going in perpetuity, uh, the obfuscation about Asia. Okay. Uh, what, so back to uh, today, Zach. What about uh, Mike Groh and what about the locker room? Yeah, Mike Groh had a chance to do you know, a little victory lap about third downs. Didn't necessarily. Well, did he do a victory uh, lap about, <laughs> about first half scoring again? Like... <laughs> no, 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 no. He didn't. You know, he, I, he just said how prepared they were some of it's scheme some of it's just the players making plays 
he was asked a lot about the Carson Wentz QB sneaking. I, I, I think we saw that. Yeah, I wrote that two years ago. Let's, let's move on, yeah, everybody. Yeah, in, in 2017. Uh, the running back rotation. Um, of course, Mike Rowe thinks their running backs can play all plays, you know. So uh, Andre Dillard came up as, you know, the extra tight end. So those are some of the questions Mike Rowe was hit. I feel like probably oh. moving forward we can say, like, uh, we don't have to talk about Mike Rowe's press conference unless there was something interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, he is getting better up there. Okay. Uh, he's, he has improved from year one to year two. He's not quite at, at Shields boy Frank Reich's level from mm-hmm. year two. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's, he is getting better up there. Now, in the locker room, a little bit of, of, of Malcolm Jenkins is talking about Atlanta. Uh, I... Uh, I think you guys will get a, a laugh at this. I, I, I asked Malcolm if this is the only stadium that he hasn't played in in the NFL. Okay. I, I was just curious. And he's like, he's like, come on. I played in, in the NFC South for five years. And I'm like, I'm like, Malcolm, it's a new stadium. Right. Like, like, who do you take me for? Here? <laughs> right. You know? uh, yeah, and then right. I, of all people. And then I, I, I actually uh, chatted with him afterwards about it. And this is, in fact, the last stadium really? that, he's, that he's played in. Look we, at you. We went back and forth um, on it. The only other one was Pittsburgh, and he's played there in the preseason. So uh, if okay. you talk about like stadiums that he's – and then he played in Miami in the Super Bowl. Are there any other the, new stadiums? The, so there's Minnesota, which he played in the Super Bowl. Right. You know? And then he's actually played in both L.A. stadiums for right. the past Yeah, I was going to say that. That's interesting. Yeah, so he's hit that. He's so, done Buffalo. Uh, yeah, he's. I believe he's played in Buffalo before when he was with uh, the Saints. Um, so I will look that up. But pat uh, yourself on the back. Take a whiff, Mister Berman. That's a, I no, like that no, work I, out of you. I was just. It was. It was that response. Like right. Well, yeah. I like. I like the. I like the of all people to not realize that he would have played the Falcons before. Like, give me, <laughs> give me a break. Yeah, like he said it. He said it like. That's the dumbest question I've ever heard. Like I was there for five years, and I was like, "Malcolm, it's a new stadium." And then he's like, "Oh yeah, that's right. You're right. You know, it's." Uh, I was expecting him to give me a CTE joke there, uh, but but uh, Malcolm spoke. Andre Dillard spoke. I Lane have Johnson. Oh no, I actually have. Uh, Lane too. Johnson spoke a lot. Um, Vinnie Curry had a new hairdo. So, that yeah. was interesting. I saw yeah, the photo of that. Twitter's picks for that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think that uh, that would make a lot more sense as a Wolf's Den or an Eagles and Eagles Esoterica than uh, a description from me. I'm not so sure that that haircut's here to stay. It could have just been a sort of a one-day-only thing. Could have been. You're right. But anyway. Uh, okay. Anything else on the current state of the Eagles? You have no more takes to fire off, Shield. Well... I do, but I'm going to be, as you guys know, our, our audience doesn't know, going to be writing kind of a, a longer piece about my takes uh, tomorrow for the Athletic Philly. And so I, I just, like right before we started, finished up rewatching, And so they're not thoroughly organized. I can fire off a couple here uh, quickly if you want. I, I think uh, number one is uh, the pass protection, uh, really, and the run game. I thought the offensive line was outstanding until Halapulavati Vitae came in the game. Now, uh, was, it, was it more than the penalties? 
Uh, well, he had two. Well, yeah, two holding penalties, and he got steamrolled like okay. into the ground on one play by Ryan Kerrigan. I mean, he didn't play that many snaps. So. <laughs> yeah, no, he played like two drives. <laughs> uh, he, I think he continued the the story of him being better when he gets a week to uh, prepare and start rather than kind of just jump in the game in the fourth quarter. That continues to be true, but uh, yeah, I mean, in the run game, I tell me this: felt, Were you yeah. as I know that uh, Defop Fran Duffy was very impressed with Isaac Sayamalo? Were you as impressed with with uh, Sayamalo? Yeah, I thought in the run game, like I don't, it's unusual to see them opening up. You know, I, I thought the running backs actually left yards on the field, like mm. they were just, you know, uh, just absolutely dominating that Washington front. And uh, yeah, a lot of the runs, it was like, uh, especially in the second half, Sayamalu and Peters were just like crushing guys. And Kelsey was very good. Um, and, you, you know, Goddard got in on a couple of those also. I think I, I saw one, there was one uh, pass pro rep from Sayamalu late where I think he gave up a hit or certainly a pressure. But yeah, overall, uh, he was very good. So uh, just for the offensive line to play like that, like Wentz just had uh, all day on a lot of those throws in a very comfortable pocket. And he really did. I know you guys talked about it after the game. I really did feel like the 2017 version, and he's probably not getting uh, enough credit for the game he played. I mean, those deep balls were like right on target you know and the I know second talked- one especially really like yes. impressed me live because because the safety was in the middle and so he had in the middle of him of Deshaun and Aguilar who was running a post and so he had to he did really have to keep it to the outside of Deshaun and he did it was a beautiful throw yes and and you guys were discussing Aguilar which is it's funny because so on that play, I mean, basically, you know, it's like a two on one in basketball, right? They have Jackson right. and Aguilar going deep against one deep safety. And like the safety basically has to uh, pick a side or try to stay neutral until he knows the ball is out and then uh, try to run like Wentz, I think. And I don't know, maybe this could be wrong, but I felt like watching it like Wentz could have looked at Deshaun and gotten right. the safety move that way and then thrown the touchdown to Aguilar. <laughs> Right, and so I, you know, I wonder if Aguilar was like, "Oh, come on, he already had one." And then there was a, there was actually a play later. Uh, it's it's somewhere here in my notes where uh, Aguilar was very. You know what I think it was? I think it was a, it was a third down where Wentz scrambled to his left, and I think he eventually. It was Jeffrey or Ertz he found. It was like a third down conversion where if if he didn't have pressure at all and kind of just hung in the pocket, I think he could have hit Aguilar for a very big play. So, uh, Zach, I saw that in your post. Like, that really popped in your uh, seven observation story, that that little Deshaun anecdote. Yes. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> you know, he's, I thought he's, so, too. He says uh, he says Nelson was a little bit down after the game, and, and obviously to... Nelson himself did not portray that uh, in yeah. the locker room. He was like the last guy to talk, and we talked about this on the post game pod. But yeah, like thank you, Deshaun, for letting us know. Yeah, I actually I I don't recall Deshaun being as good as he was uh, speaking after after the game when you know there's a lot of these Deshaun Jackson maturity angles, but he's like a, a media superstar. He was he was breaking down the plays for us. Yeah. It was it was the best Deshaun I think it's I can fa- remember. I think it's fair to say that we can't like objectively uh, like confirm that he is like a much more mature guy, but but he is definitely better media wise. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, well, I, I mean, what happens outside the facility, you know, you, you, you never fully know somebody, I mean, good or bad, but, uh, in our encounters with him, he's, he's, he's been very good. 
Well, let's uh, let's see after he catches two balls. Right, let's see, yeah, let's see when lose. let's see when Nelson's the one having the big game and, and he's but you guys, well yeah, no, but the uh, yeah, I thought the explanations you guys got um, after the game were were great. That they were really explaining kind of what happened, uh, what happened on those plays. That that's always nice when they're willing to do that. All right, I think this is a good time to start our, our this new game, Bullfinch. Okay, it's a very straightforward game. I would probably disagree, but okay. Uh, this is a very straightforward game. It's basically I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something that uh, happened in week one, and you tell me whether you you can call Bullfinch on this being the way that the rest of the season will go. So like, w- is this you know for instance like the Eagles' pass rush is it going to be this bad for the rest of the year, or do you call Bullfinch and you think they will be better? Something like that. Does that okay. make sense? Yes. I mean, Obviously not, but we'll go ahead anyway. It's very easy. Okay, so Miles Sanders plays 48% uh, of the Eagles' offensive snaps to lead the running back rotation. 48% for him. Darren Sproles for 31%. Jordan Howard for 23%. Corey Clement for 4%. Now, if you are a a math whiz, that's 106%. But keep in mind, there were four or five snaps of uh, 21 personnel. Uh, You call Bullfinch on Miles Sanders' playing about 48% of the Eagles' offensive snaps and leading the way for the running backs. Wait, so if I believe he's going to play the most snaps of any running back, then I don't call Bullfinch? Or if you think that he's going to play even more, like he's going to be significantly higher, call it like, you know, two-thirds of the time, 65%. Then I, I will call Bullfinch for that reason. I thought that he... Played a lot better than his numbers indicated. He obviously had the big touchdown run uh, called back because of the uh, Arthago-Whiteside penalty. And I thought he just, like, the way he moves is just different than than the other running backs. I mean, he exploded. I think it was like a 19-yard run where he just, like— Right after the the Sproles run, which, as we said, took, like, forever. Yeah, so uh, I thought, and, and him in, in pass pro, my gosh. I mean, he's accomplished in uh, one summer what Wendell Smallwood could not accomplish <laughs> in how many years? It was incredible. I thought he was outstanding. I mean, he was Jordan good. Howard had one too, but they were just keeping Wentz clean. Like like Sanders, I don't think there was a play. Uh, maybe I missed one where he was in pass pro where like he didn't know what he was supposed to do, you know? So the rest of it, that always seems to be the hardest part for the running backs. It's not that they're, you know, not willing to block a linebacker. It's that they're looking in the wrong place. They don't understand the protect protection. They get there late and, you know, they make a last second shove. He seemed to just, you know, I would be interested to hear what uh, Doug Peterson and maybe whenever we get to talk to Deuce Staley next have to say, but he seems like locked in. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they talked about sort of how smart he is and how well he's uh, he's picked that kind of thing up. So I will call Bullfinch. Uh, I think he's going to emerge as um, as playing even more than he played in week one. Sanders in pass pro sort of it reminded me of, of you know, Corey Clement from 2017 when he also was sort of surprisingly good in that capacity. And I liked what uh, Fran Duffy said today on the uh, Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, which is that. It seems like for running backs, pass pro is like 45% willingness, 45% awareness, like knowing what to look for, where to go, and then like 10% technique. Well said. Uh, I concur with what Shield said. Uh, I would buy your Miles Sanders stock now if, if you play fantasy football. 
I would, would you do? I would I would go after him. I I mean he's the early returns are very positive. The Eagles are very happy with him. And I think what you saw on Sunday is probably the floor and not you know, it certainly not the ceiling. And I don't think it's it's the norm. I, I think it's the floor of what you'll see from him. Yeah, I think I think both he and Jordan Howard will eventually be siphoning off snaps from from Darren Sproles. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll take a whiff. I told you all along he was going to play more than uh, people thought right away. So there you go. Who? I did. Well, didn't we all say that? Yeah. You, mm, what are you talking about? I will check you the tape, my take friends. Credit for that? What, check what, me? the tape. What did Zach and I say? Yeah, you I, guys. Can Zach both was Mr. Jordan Howard all along. No, 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 no. You guys can both take credit on Darren Sproles. Well, I no, will admit both. feet on Sproles. <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't think Sproles was going to play much. Offense. Just let me have my victory laps. I'm the champion two, of the beats. Two things here. First of all. Uh, one is I, I heard you give both of us credit, Zach, and that was nice of you. I don't think Bo deserves the credit I do. If we look at the grades, I feel like I was the one uh, getting crushed there for my, gr- my grade of ripping Sproles and saying he's going to play more than people think and that Peterson can't help himself. I All know right, fine. Bo- you can have the Sproles credit. I'll take the Miles Sanders credit. Uh, well, okay. If you want to rewind the tape, you know, I showed up to one training camp practice and told you Sanders was the best guy and was going to play more, but okay. No, you didn't, say, you didn't say he was going to play more. You just said he had the juice. Come on. Okay. Next up, uh, the, the 12 personnel usage that we have, uh, we have been tracking. This game they played 12 personnel, 34, we'll call it, percent of the time, rounding up, 24 of the 71 snaps versus 55% of 11 personnel. Bullfinch, or call, do you call Bullfinch on uh, that's about how often they will be playing 12 personnel? I think that's uh, – I'm not calling Bullfinch because I, I think that's a reasonable number. What you saw in terms of Ertz's snaps, what you saw in terms of Goddard's snaps, uh, I think you'll see around there maybe a little more Goddard. So I'll say a little more 12 personnel. But I don't think you're going to see them at like 50%, 60%, 12 personnel. Well, I'll tell you what was interesting about uh, and I, I think I will. What, what was the percentage for this game? It was about what? 34%. And last year was at about 39 to 40%, depending on where you looked. So if I think it's, if I think it's going to be 39%, is that a bullfinch or not? I don't, think, I don't think that's a bullfinch. What number do I have to get to to get to 43%, a bullfinch? 43%, let's call it. Okay, I'll say no bullfinch. Okay. Uh, what I thought was interesting was that I thought they ran the ball really well out of 12 personnel. And the numbers bear that out to 10 runs for 65 yards out of 12 personnel, which is, which is actually not what they did very well out of 12 personnel last year. Last year, they, they went in 12 and were killing teams by passing the ball and, and they did not run the ball very well out of 12 personnel. So that was interesting. Yes, and also, you know, I think Daniel Jeremiah was the one who said kind of before the season, you know, he spoke to defensive coaches who said, we're just going to play uh, nickel to 12 personnel. And so the question was, well, can you make them uh, pay or can your tight ends beat defensive backs? And actually, the answer to both those questions was yes for the Eagles because they ran the ball well uh, when Washington stayed in its uh, in its sub packages and also Zach Ertz had that uh, that big 26-yarder that he had, uh, I think it was in the third or fourth quarter, where he had the nice catch and run. That was against, I believe, Quentin Dunbar, a cornerback, where Ertz was just isolated on the right side against a corner. He beats the corner and then uh, and then gets some yards after the catch. So I, I thought 
that was a good sign. Okay, we've already talked about the pass rush and uh, the corner, so I'll move on from Wait, those. can I interject with something real quick? Absolutely. Uh, of course. Give us a tangent. Hey, no, this is uh, for – we were speaking about Dallas Goddard. I, I just want to plug – I have a story mm. on The Athletic tomorrow on – I'm uh, very excited the, to read this story. On the relationship between Dallas Goddard and Avante Maddox. Uh, which, oh, nice. Which, which when I brought it up Roommates. To, Yes, uh, housemates, and housemates. Uh, they live in this five thousand plus square foot home in New Jersey, and uh, they play Fortnite. They play like real live Fortnite in the home, you know, what does like that mean? like they they bought Nerf guns and what? put the uh, Michael Myers. Uh, don't give any more yeah. away. I'm gonna read it. Come this on. sounds awesome. This is uh, great. But but I can tell you that when I spoke to a few different guys in the locker room and, and said, I'm doing a story on Dallas Goddard and Avante Maddox's friendship. Uh, I just got laughter right away. So, you know, that's, 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 that's usually a sign that there's a story to pursue. I'm very so, excited. Uh, I'm very excited. Yeah, so this. that, that there's a good, I saw one corner. quote that was passed along to me from, uh, from pistol Pete, our editor from Lane Johnson. That made me, that made me laugh. And so I am, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Me too. Yeah, they're always, um, always uh, on all the social Instagram posts. I feel like they are together uh, nonstop, even in the. Office. I thought you said you unfollowed all these guys. I did. This was. I mean, so if this has changed in the past like two months, then okay. I apologize. Prior to, uh, you know, July whatever tenth, they were together a lot. So I, I enjoyed talking to them for the story, and <laughs> and look out for that on on Wednesday morning. Yes. I have a little. Uh, you got a plug? Well, no, no, I don't. I don't have a plug, but just another take on Dallas Goddard in that game. I know the numbers were not impressive. Uh, he had the one play down the left sideline. I think he was manned up against a linebacker. I want to say, and they threw kind of the go route. Yeah, he almost came down with it. Some who I forget who the safety, safety was, but they laid a, a really play. nice. That was a great yes. play. Yes, Monte Nicholson uh, yes. came over and showed good range. A clean hit. Did, Yes, that, so that, you know, that and then, uh, you know, the touchdown to Alshon Jeffrey, Washington totally busted its coverage. Goddard was wide open. It was one of those where I love when you find these is the guys like jumping up and down, waving his hands. <laughs> right. Uh, the but ball but there was passed. pressure and, and Wentz couldn't pressure. throw that way. Yeah, there was pressure. But we were that's just a way of saying, you know, we were not far away from saying Goddard had 65 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, in that game. Well, speaking of that. Do you call Bullfinch on the Eagles pass catchers being happy with uh, the ball distribution? And I guess this is probably directed towards Nelson Aguilar. As long as they win, you know, I mean, it's I we spoke about Tim Jernigan earlier and I keep thinking back to a quote Tim Jernigan had in 2017 when he wasn't playing on pass rush downs. He said, we're we're winning. So I, I can't complain if if. You know, if we if, if if we weren't winning, you'd probably hear from me about it. Uh, now, now that's not verbatim, but it was along those those lines. And I, you know, I, I think if, if if this team is like two and four, then you'll start hearing stuff. But if they win games, I I don't think any of those guys would would cry wolf, so to speak, uh, if they're winning games. I was thinking, and I don't know why, watching rewatching this game, like. It really sucks to play wide receiver. I mean, think <laughs> really? like 
Well, just yes, think of your I agree job. With that. Yeah. Like, think of you're playing. Let's say you play you whatever. Sprint, and 50, then you right exactly. Yeah, yeah, you're playing fifty snaps, and let's say like you are, you know, good at your job. Even when you do your job flawlessly, you might not get the ball. Uh, you know, you drop one ball, and it's like you're the you know everyone's all over you. And there are just so many plays where you go out and you run your route and you do everything you're supposed to do and you don't get the ball. Like your entire livelihood is based on like six plays out of 65. And that's if you're like a decent player. It's got to be extremely frustrating. Like think of Nelson Aguilar watching that film. It's like, God, a touchdown could have been mine. This other, you know, I was wide open down the seam. That could have been mine. Deshaun's getting all this love. I'm trying to get a free agency deal after the season. Like, I, I don't know. I think that's a, uh, I can sort of understand why guys I agree with that. get upset. I don't know. Just a thought. I mean, I think back to bubble ball. If I was running a route, like you, like you run a good route, the ball doesn't come your way. What the heck? Also, these guys are so good that every level they've played, they've been the person right. who was seeing the most targets and making the most plays. So anyway, I guess that's neither here nor there. But uh, so am I buying it? Um, you know, I think there are going to be weeks when Aguilar gets his targets. And uh, it, uh, I don't know. I, I think I kind of trust Doug Peterson here to try to make everyone happy or, uh, you know, certainly do his best. So uh, I, I think Zach is right. I think if they struggle offensively specifically and start losing some games and guys aren't getting targeted, then yes, they will be upset. We saw that to a certain degree last year, but uh, I don't know. I, I thought that offense uh, after the relatively slow start, like what really stood out is this year, they have the personnel to really win in a lot of different ways. I mean, they had a 19 and a 12 play drive, and then they had two 50-yard touchdowns. Three play and uh, five play drive. Yeah, they have times when they can run the ball all over you. And so I think that's really their strength. And I think they're going to be pretty prolific and they're going to be pretty good. So I, I actually think they're in decent shape in terms of that not becoming a huge issue. That reminds me. Th- Go ahead. I, I think the two guys to kind of watch there, not necessarily in terms of mouthing off per se, but maybe being kind of uh, – frustrated with the role or with the opportunities would be Nelson and would be Dallas Goddard. Uh, because I think both of those guys feel like they're high level players. And as, as you've noted, there's a lot of options here. Um, you know, sometimes you can trace this stuff back to the contract. Alshon Jeffrey's taken care of. That's the, the thing I would, I, I, I would have said Nelson's that Alshon not. would have been worth watching, but he just got his contract guaranteed. So never mind. Maybe that's, maybe that's why they did it. Maybe so. Good point. I thought it was kind of a weird move myself. Yeah, I, th- I thought I thought it was a weird move too. <laughs> we'll see the details. That, uh, I guess and then sort of uh, sort it out. But yeah, anyway, this reminds me—not this, but I was going to say before when you brought up the three and five play drives. Uh, you know, Shield was like, "Oh, I'm excited to see what Bo does with the day after," uh, and we know that Shield has this sort of uh, you know Machiavellian streak in him. I, I have decided that I think the only reason that you wanted me to do the day after Shield is because this was your way of getting back at me for all the late night post game pods and you still having to do the day after when we finish those pods and me continuing those pods. Now I am the one at the mercy of that, not you. And so I, th- I think that I get what you were doing. I'm on to your yeah. game. Yeah, I think there's probably truth to that. I won't <laughs> deny that. Okay. Yeah. 
You uh, did a nice job with it. Well, it was I a late night. It. it was a late night. And that's the most fun. Uh, that's those are the most fun pieces to write all year. I think. You think so? Because the post game locker room, I feel like, is where as a NFL reporter, you know, you're gonna kind of uh, separate you know, the wheat from the chaff. Yeah, who who wants who who's really capable of putting the work? I mean, because everyone's there, and you know they don't. It's not like they're hanging out in the lounge like they might do, you know, in the middle of the day at practice right. or um, that kind of thing. It's like they're there. They're talking about the game with their teammates or coaches. They're they can't really hide how they're feeling in that moment. I mean, it's ten minutes after the game ended. If they're angry or happy, right. I, they can try to try to. Some guys are going to calming themselves down, but you can get some real emotion. They're just kind of focused on, you know, talking to their teammates, getting dressed, and uh, getting out of there. And so you have so many options of where to go, what to observe, that kind of thing. And I thought you you both did a good job of taking me inside that locker room. You know, that was the first opener week that was the first week one i've spent at home in like uh yeah, i don't I even know it must have been very 2011 weird. maybe 2011 yeah so something like i that. wanted to get i wanted to get a specific time reference in there for you uh but instead i did a uh an added like added uh jackson comma because that's that was my uh, little homage to you i appreciate it. now one thing i didn't get out of the post game pod is what uh what you guys were wearing to what, what, what oh were i meant to bring this up is I don't know if Zach knows Zach. I always dressed according to the juice of the game. So, and I think Zach uh, is a is a he tries to bring his own juice every week. I think so. I think so. He's the uh, uh, thermostat, not the thermometer. <laughs> That's right. I, I the appreciate the reference. Yes. Yeah. So if it was you know Super Bowl, I was uh, suited up. I yes. think I had the pocket square in and the the tie clip and everything. If it's um, preseason game, you know I might be uh, Polo showing for up. Me. At, yeah, I'm not going big. So what uh, I felt like there was, you know, this could be a big season. This was week week one. Generally, I tried to uh, step it up a little bit. What what were the the outfits for week? I one? went uh, I went blue slacks and uh, and a button down. No jacket. Week no one. Jacket. You, you gotta earn. Okay. You gotta earn. You gotta earn a little bit of juice. You gotta earn the jacket juice. I think. All right. Yeah, I, I had a jacket and a shirt. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Zach's be more interested in giving the description. <laughs> I had a jacket and a shirt. So, um, one thing, Bo, you did, you could have allowed me to take a whiff in the day after that you did not. For uh, who were your two game balls given out to? Uh, Deshaun and Jernigan. Was there somebody on a certain popular Eagles podcast who named those two players? Did you? I, well, guys I think we both. About? I think we both know that I did not remember that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I was surprised. I was just happy you were recovered enough to. By the uh, way, the most the, the 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 thing that I was most disappointed about during that podcast was that when I was coming back upstairs, uh, I I saw the Tyree Kill extension and I was like, I was despondent and ready to be very angry. And even just in the course of walking up the stairs, I forgot about it entirely and didn't get to talk about it on the podcast. Not surprising. Not surprising. Okay. Uh, that's because you asked about everything else during the podcast. I suppose that's right. <laughs> a couple other uh, league-wide bullfinches for you. Uh, which of these two teams are you more willing to call bullfinch on as a legitimate Super Bowl contender? The Dallas Cowboys or the Baltimore Ravens? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I am calling more bullfinch on the Cowboys. Um, I, I really like this Ravens team. I, I like them... 
going into the season. Uh, this isn't necessarily fortified by week one. Frankly, I thought week one told you more about Miami than it did about Baltimore. Uh, that being said, I think Baltimore can play with anyone. I well, I, I, I do think I was more bullish on Lamar Jackson, certainly than, than Bo. I'm not sure about you or, or not, Shield. I wasn't uh, anti-Lamar Jackson. I just thought he had a bit of a scattershot arm in practice one day. Yeah. Uh, I just think that like if, if you back off or, or if you go in and sell out against the run on that team – then they have the players to beat you in, in in the passing game, and you saw that with Hollywood Brown. You saw that with Mark Andrews. So and if you're Hurst, if, no, no, you yeah. didn't. You didn't see that with Hurst. If you're going to play your safeties back, then they can run the ball on you all day. So uh, I think that's a legit team. You know about their defense. I want to see what their pass rush looks like against a better uh, quarterback, better offensive line. Uh, but I am buying Baltimore stock. I think I, w- I would agree with the choice there, uh, mostly just because I feel the infrastructure. I trust the infrastructure in Baltimore uh, more. I think John. By the way, John Harbaugh. I didn't see him get any heat for this. Do you know he called a fake punt? They were up thirty-five yes. to three. Yeah, love what it. What do you think? What do you think? Is that? Too, it seems uh, like such a waste, though. Like I thought the opposite. Maybe you put it on film right. and then you can do something like a little bit different or uh, yeah. have teams think about it. But I was shocked by that. I, where were the outrage uh, police? on? Yeah. That so one? I actually, I, I was curious. So I looked up uh, what was said about that and Harbaugh said this it was a classic zebra. <laughs> Harbaugh <laughs> said it was a situation where they were going to go for the on fourth down anyways. And he, he said it, it was the type of like fake punt that every team has. So, so it's, <laughs> what it's an not, explanation. Yeah, he's like, he's like, it's it's not something that they put on tape. It's like a basic play that every team. Oh my god, he's like, really? They should have easily stopped that, but man, they suck over there. I thought, I thought maybe like uh, that's good. Roger Goodell got in his ear or something and was like, embarrass these fools, you know, show them you cannot tank in my uh, in my NFL. But uh, yeah, no, I would I would say the Ravens. I you know, Bo didn't bring up to you, Zach. He was calling you out for you know all the people you kind of stood up for that had a bad week when i noticed he didn't say anything about dak prescott in that post game mm. five that was interesting well, i don't even remember having a big dak prescott what you call him like you rip him at every turn oh i know it? i do I, I don't remember yeah. zach defending him uh, that much no i think zach said okay. he's better than you think or i don't know but that was also the best game of his career it was as i read in shil Kapadia's most recent story uh, okay, right. which of these two teams are you more willing to call Bullfinch on as a playoff contender? The Tennessee Titans or the San Francisco 49ers? Oof. You want to go first, Shil? Uh, I will call Bullfinch on the, on the 49ers. Yeah, I, think uh, that, I, think, I think this one's not as, easy, not as difficult as the last one. I think this is like, Titans all the yeah, way. Yeah, I don't like the Titans, but... You know, they're always around that 500 mark. I thought the 49ers were terrible in that game. I mean, if Jameis Winston was a complete, wasn't a complete disaster, uh, they would have lost that game. I thought Jimmy G played uh, very poorly, decision-making, inaccurate. I did not see much to like at all. I mean, it was such a sloppy game. That first half was completely garbanzo beans. But I, I don't know if you're counting on the opposing quarterback to throw two pick sixes, you know, to win. Uh, I just don't see it with them. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, Tennessee's been nine and seven, nine and seven, nine and seven these past three years. Like this is a team that even though they're not 
an elite team. They're a tough team to play against no matter what. They went on the road against a, a talented team and really put it to them. I think you're going to see that a, a, a lot because I think they can play physical football. Uh, I'm not as sold on San Francisco. That being said, I will admit I haven't watched any of the San Francisco game. I only saw the highlights and saw the stats. But from what I've read, it's not like Jimmy G was was lights out. And if he's not lights out, I think that I think they're going to have a hard time. I think for our, our preseason discussion of the Bucks, I think I said they're a quarterback and a GM away from maybe mm. doing something. I, I kind of feel like the Titans are a quarterback away from maybe being something. I agree with that. But uh, I don't, yeah, I, uh, Mariota, I, he, he did not play well. Like if you look at the numbers, I mean, they schemed up. He had a 75 yard screen. He had, you know, a couple touchdowns. Yeah, that throwback that were, screen that you love so much. That was awesome. Why really? Does that ever not work? The throwback screen? Uh, I feel like I've seen it not work a couple times, but I, I, I don't disagree with your premise. I'll tell Derrick you. Henry with a head of steam on him too. Is, uh, yeah. Yeah. Good luck tackling him. I feel like I would like to maybe this is maybe this is too early. I feel like defenses have a I feel like the Eagles have some kind of tell on their screens. It feels it feels like, uh, you know, certainly in this game, I think there were two that were completely blown up. And I don't know if uh, my memory's wrong or not, but I, I sort of feel like the Eagles I defense to... defending screens or the Eagles no. offense giving no, away I think screens. Opposing defense is okay. knowing when a, a running back screen is coming for the Eagles. Just. Something to okay. put out there with no back, with no uh, evidence. All right. Last one. Uh, which of these two teams are you more willing to call Bullfinch on as a doormat, as a, uh, a garbanzo beans team? The Atlanta Falcons or the Pittsburgh Steelers? Uh, I will go first. I think it's more likely that uh, Pittsburgh's not good than Atlanta's not good. Uh, now, I, I, I know... Pittsburgh. We both. Yeah, this is for Sheila and I both. We do, We deserve yeah. a bit of a flogging. Yeah, I, I just think that 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 there's more of a likelihood that Ben Roethlisberger is falling off the cliff, so to speak, than there is Atlanta just being that bad on offense. I just can't see Atlanta being that bad on offense. I'll go the other way. I, I will, mean, unless uh, yeah, if their offensive line really to. stinks okay. and their defense is not special then I could see them having a bit of a cratered season. But go ahead, Shield. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's right. I mean, Chris Lindstrom, the, the guard who uh, Bo loved before the draft. Yeah, can't, couldn't say. I mean, I thought that was maybe the, <laughs> one of the worst drafts that I, that I saw. Well, we talked about this also. And I heard Garrett because... Bradbury didn't look, didn't look that good either. Uh, I did not notice that. Well, but I mean, he's I close know. to it's... retirement as well, so. But, yeah, we, we talked about just because you draft or make changes in an area doesn't mean you fixed it. And I think that was the case with the Falcons offensive line. And now they lose Lindstrom. And uh, so the Eagles should be able to attack that. I think there's a chance that their offensive line does stink. Also, you know, like Dirk Cutter gets all this love as an offensive coordinator. I mean, they were seventh, I think, in offensive efficient, efficiency with uh, Steve Sarkeesian last year. Like, are they going to be that much better or better at all with Cutter? I don't know. Ryan was great last year. Is he going to regress in some areas? I think that's possible. And uh, they just have no uh, pass rush at all. I mean, the Eagles offensive line should really eat them alive uh, next week if this past week was any indication. So I can chalk the uh, ugly, ugly, but not ugly. If, but not if last week was any indication for the Eagles pass rush. 
No, I, yeah, I was saying the opposite. I said the Eagles' offensive line should be able to. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I think I said the other thing too earlier, but that was like 90 seconds ago. So you're sorry. Really I'm, I'm reading through the. I'm reading through the uh, questions. <laughs> Uh, the, yeah, the Steelers. I mean, I I'm not going to say anything to uh, <laughs> defend them other than let's uh, let's chalk it up to a horrible week one and uh, see what happens. All right, well, let's start with that on the uh, on the getting a burden edgewise. I know we're a little uh, long in, into this, and we've actually touched on a lot of these. You don't questions. say. Yes, we've touched on a lot of these questions <clears throat> throughout the show, so we won't. Do you get still to have many. to write, Zach, or is your story sent? No, in? no, my story sent in. So okay. I was I was looking forward to this pod. You were you were gonna get some downtime for the first time in like uh, eight <laughs> no, weeks. No, I I, I, genuinely, <laughs> I I genuinely like this discussion. So. Okay. Uh, okay, this is from Vic. Uh, what's more frustrating as a fan, having someone like Pete Carroll insist on running the ball and severely limiting Shields Boy's brilliance, or someone like Mike Tomlin who kicks a field goal from the one yard line down twenty? Uh, I can go first. I think it's Tomlin. Uh, you know, you can you make fun of me for being a Seattle homer, but this was well, like a either way here. So it's fine. This, this was something that really stood out watching all these games and, you know, rewatch trying to catch up on the ones I missed on Monday. It's just like that Doug Peterson decision to what was he at his own 37, right? To go for it. 34. I mean, nobody is doing like, they're not even thinking about this, like your own 34, uh, they can't wait to punt. I mean, they're throwing, well, this is, I mean, it's true. And this is the point I tried to make in the, in the day after is that like, there are like, there are some minor things, some nitpicks you can have about Doug's uh, game management, but like everything is overridden by the fact that he is the coach who goes for that without giving it a second thought. That is like worth way more than any of the other stuff. What would you, I have a question for, for both you guys, actually, uh, and it's it's related to this. I love, love, love Shields' tweet about Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, we were, t- and well, had, yeah, Zach yeah, and I were yeah. watching this live. Like, couldn't believe. And we're it. like, you you got to go for that. You know, go for the win. Like in, in in that situation. Pathetic. Now now the point that that Shield made was that that's a, a team where you're kind of setting a culture. I'm curious from your guys' perspective, and, and I'm going to do some digging on this too. If Doug Peterson is in that situation, what does he do? He goes. I think Ooh, he goes like for that. it. Frank Reich went for it last he year. That's right. They said it turned to see, you know, the players said yeah, that. But like, that was turned a culture setting around. thing. Yeah, that was yeah. more of a culture. So. But I, I do think, you know, Peterson gets credit for all the, hey, he's like, uh, he's listening to the analytics and stuff. But during that Super Bowl season, I mean, and when you talk to players, they, they weren't like Doug's doing it because it's, analytically the right thing to do a lot of times it did feel like a culture thing well that is sort of probably what's better to message to the players anyway even if it's not true but that is i do think it is kind of true i mean we've asked him stuff that there should be an analytically i mean it's a mix don't get me wrong he's got you know he's talking to those guys um and getting the win probabilities that's a step in the right direction but i think at his core it is i'm an offensive coach i want to show the players i have faith in them to convert, and that's why I'm going to make these decisions. So uh, I think he would uh, go in that situation. Speaking of that- which, we got to we have to we have to like publicly caution Zach about continuing to wade into the waters of uh, of crossing Coach Flynn. I, I don't know if it's going to turn out well for him. <laughs> well, you you set him up with the what did he say mono e mono? <laughs> well, he was the one coming across the face. 
no, no, no. I I have great respect for him. You know, and 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 actually, I was reading his work back when he was at the Villanova coach. Uh, when he was at Villanova, writing about uh, Chip Kelly. We're not having a Chip Kelly discussion. I'm just mentioning that. Okay, uh, but. I I stand by my statement after the game that I thought it was the right thing to do to go for two there, and I did some digging on it, and uh, part of it is you need to look at, at your two-point uh, conversion rate. You need to look at the opponent's two-point conversion rate. So there are some numbers that go into it, but it, and it's not necessarily – making it a two a two score game because it's still a, a, a two score game if, if if it's eight points they need to go they need to get that two point conversion that's akin to getting a score well yeah but uh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a two, two possession, possession game yeah two possession game and to me that makes all the difference what was Doug Peterson's explanation he said it was a go the whole they the whole drive they were expecting to go for two it was a go for them the whole time okay uh, which is interesting so I wonder what the disparity in the in the uh, model is from them and uh, and Coach Flynn's. Now, Coach Flynn says if you're down nine, you should always go for two to get down seven so that you know whether you need two scores or not. Whereas if you are up seven, you should just take the eight. Unless, uh, depending on time and other variables, but that's, that's Which, what he says. By the, by the way, that was another thing Kingsbury uh, screwed up. Well, yeah, but also Patricia. Like this was like two pathetic coaching jobs in that. In that, I, you know, I, I, I did not. Now, we all. I there's no. Uh, you know, I am no fan of Matt Patricia. I had him 32nd when I did that coaches thing before the season. <laughs> but I think that his him punting, like you could make the case that you felt like you, you could still get the ball back and win the game. You mean kicking the field goal? Is that what he did? Well, it was, was like yeah, he had like a fourth and eight. They were down three their first possession of overtime and then he kicked the field goal instead of going for it for the win yeah but then the game continues after that right yeah so yeah i don't think that was as bad as punting away with ten left that's all okay moving on a lot of these questions we have talked about uh zach this one's for you i know we joked that uh doug can't quit sproles and all but how much of this is deuce's decision isn't the rotation normally his call this good is from Nick. Yeah, good question. Um, in the past, it's it's been put on uh, Deuce's shoulders. I asked Mike Rowe this last week, sitting next to you, Bo, and Mike Rowe said that uh, Deuce is the running backs coach, so he's the one literally doing it. But it's a collaborative thing going into the game, and like Doug says, you know, they have certain sproles plays certain howard plays certain sanders plays and so i i think the play call has a lot to do with it as well i i think it's so funny that they stole this from chip like any question about the running back rotation just tell them <laughs> it's all deuce uh, you don't have to take any of the criticism <laughs> it does seem like like that's the only thing at any turn that's the only thing they're willing to speak directly and honestly about well you know why this guy play well listen deuce does a great job of rotating those <laughs> yes. guys like that's just transferred from coaching staff to coaching staff, although I, I kind of buy it. It does feel like that's what happens. No, but I, I don't think they have Jordan Howard out there for a Darren Sproles play, so to speak, yeah. you know? Yeah, but, yeah, all right, T- to a degree. But, I mean, they're, you know, they're only running so many. Th- there have to be ones that, uh, like, like when they got JHI, remember it was like, he can run every one of our schemes. Well, all right, well, then how are you deciding? So, right. Also, I thought Jordan Howard was going to be like a short yardage guy. That 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 
uh, play the Sproles on short yardage was a disgrace. Terrible. Yeah. So, so Doug's got explanation for that. I, I he never second guesses himself. He says, no, 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 no. The explanation for why they ran that, that play there, they, they basically ran the quarterback sneak out of that formation earlier with that formation and that personnel grouping, I, 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 I believe. So I think Doug, you know, and, and that was an extension off that play. So, Basically, from if you're interpreting Doug, they're trying to make the defense think that it's going to be a quarterback sneak and it's actually a pitch. So therefore, the line's pinching in and Sproles would have space on the outside. If that was the intended purpose, it did not fool Washington. Sure defense. did not. No. And uh, I, I have this take, actually. Is there anything more overrated or that people get excited about for no reason in football? than the idea of having two running backs on the field at the same time. Ooh, I like this take. I mean, like, this is, I feel like every stop I've been at, it's like, oh, they can put those two guys on the field at the same time. I like this take. Oh, I'm sure the defense is shaking in its boots that, like, you got, you know, this right. running I gotta, back. I got like, to cover so, Darren so Sproles in the runner. slot instead of yeah. Nelson Aguilar. Like. I mean, that doesn't do anything. And, yeah, on that play, they had Corey Clement, I believe, as the, like, the up back. And then Darren Sproles behind him. That when Darren Sproles caught that uh, toss, he was nine yards behind the line of scrimmage on a third and one. Mm. Like, give it, come on, let's do a little bit better than I that. I like this take. Okay, yeah, it deserves criticism. Absolutely. Okay. All right, from Jason, what moment made Shield fully embrace the baldness? Asking for a friend. Oh, all right. This is a good. This is an excellent question. Hmm. Was it one thing? Well, it, it was years of uh, sitting on the sofa at the old Scapati house and uh, feeling my mom's hands just, you know, touch the bald spot on my head as my hair was thinning <laughs> and, and like asking me if I wanted some type of like, uh, you know, Indian remedy that she had because it was really getting bad. <laughs> what are the remedies? Uh, who knows? She's got a lot of po- she's got a lot of stuff over there. A lot, a lot of potions. Of is that what you're gonna say? Yeah. <laughs> well, we we sometimes joke that they are potions. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Uh, oint- ointments, potions, whatever you want to call. So uh, it was it was years of wearing me down with that. And then you know what happens is you'll see a photo of yourself, mm. which you never see. I think from... I unfortunately uh, was the culprit. Were you the on one? one? I think oh, I, okay. not. I don't yeah. know if it was the one, but I think I was. <laughs> you you castigated me for taking oh, one. It all comes picture, full yeah. circle. So, yeah, you see a photo from, like, the side or the back of your head, and you're like, oh, my God, like, I did not know uh, it was that bad. Because really, even, you know, my first year in Seattle, I'm doing these sports center hits, and I had the nice wall in front of the hair, Mm. you know? And so I felt like I was going on camera and looking good. No one was the wiser. But, uh, you know, it just got to a point where I saw one of those photos eventually and said, uh, it's time to pull the plug. Ah, I've been happy with it. You know, I will look at a photo of myself from years ago on occasion and be like, uh, gosh, I was handsome. But, mm. you know, here we, here we are. Lettuce. I think the shave looks a good look. Thank you. Thank you very much. You the first well. time you do it, you know, I had to do it in the off season when I was making sure I wasn't doing any TV hits, not having any like social outings, which, you know, it's not hard for me to find a time when I don't have those. Uh, but, you know, you, do, you don't know what's going to be underneath there. I saw you at the owners' meetings. I believe it was. Yeah, it, it might have, and, and, and that was the first time Jeez. I saw you. Yeah, and and you you pulled it off well. Still do. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
You got uh, a nice. I think Z Perm's got a nice head of lettuce got, on him. He does. does. He does have a yeah. very nice. Uh, I think I told you this. I think Zach. <laughs> I appreciate. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to keep it dark. So, so we'll see. With with two kids, right, it, it, it might go great. Quick. Some good cabbage. Uh, from France in LA, way too early prediction on the opening point spread for Eagles Dolphins. When is that game? What, what week? It's late November. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, what I are think the, November thirtieth is the game. What are the, the the Patriots are like minus sixteen this week? I well, think it's now up to nineteen. I think. Oh, 19. Oh, I don't know God. what it opened as, but. I'm at a very, uh, I have a very tough decision. I'm doing these picks against the spread. And like, I read this thing about picking home dogs, like the first Mm. three weeks. And you got killed on it this week. And I got killed on it this week. (laughs) And so am I going to have to pick the dolphins plus 19? I hope that just keeps going on. Uh, I think the Eagles are going to be very good at that point. I think the dolphins are going to be very bad. I'll say, I'll say 14 and a half. I'll say 16. Yeah, I'm going. I'm going. I'll, I'll split the difference and go 15. The interesting thing about that game is it's is it comes after New England and Seattle, so that's a tough stretch that the Eagles have back to back there. So it might be one of those things where they let off steam against a team like Miami, or, or it could be a yeah, situation let where let down or a little uh, South Beach flu, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Sure. Maybe uh, Nigel takes the boys out on uh, <laughs> on Saturday night. Is that a 1 o'clock game Sunday? They find a, they yeah, find a, they yeah, find a late night cabana. Yeah, the weather gets a little bit chilly in Philly, and they're happy to be uh, in a nice climate. Uh, might have to take the Dolphins yeah. in that game. All right, I think we've had a good shift. Last question is, uh, after his defense of the Patriots, can we get a top 10 list of Zach's favorite sporting cheats? <laughs> um i would and it to... comes with a gif of lance armstrong <laughs> um all right so anyone who corks <laughs> their bat has has to be uh has to... no yeah, i, I I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think there give me some uh, give me some Sammy uh, Sosa, lance armstrong um all right i'm gonna have any wrestling heel I'm, I'm not as offended Oh God! I'm, not, I'm afraid I'm, about what's about to happen. I'm not as offended by like the mid '90s baseball players who took PEDs. Oh, like I'm not. Yeah, offended. no. Okay. This is I'm a, not this as is a fine, fine take. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not as offended by like Barry Bonds. First off, because Barry Bonds was really good before this. Number one, and number two, I I feel like you're grading it on a curve because he certainly wasn't the only one. You know, so uh, he, he was just doing it better than the other guys. Um, so with me, it's 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 it will probably be more like so. And I'll also say in, in college sports, um, like the Donald like Trump, the, the golfer. No, like the John Calipari's doesn't like offend my sensibilities as as, oh, as I love much Calipari. either. Yeah. Um, so it, you it, love Calipari? Yeah, I do. Oh, really? Yeah, because he calls he calls the whole thing out for what it is. I yes, mean, love yes, is I, maybe I, strong, yeah. but like. I'm I'm you in on it. Calipari. Okay. Yeah, so Whereas um, I'm out I'm, on Patino who is a different type of cheater. Well, I, I'm offended more by like people who affect like the actual who, who will cheat like in the game. I agree. You know? with, I totally it's, agree with that. Yeah. So those are the ones that offend my sensibilities. I don't know what would be an example of that, but here's an yeah. example uh illegally filming the other team's practice during the Super Bowl. <laughs> 
week. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I mean, that's but like I, I've said <laughs> this before about I, I said this on one of our early podcasts. I was at that Patriots Colts game where the alleged deflate gate game and um, and again, I, I don't know all the, uh, you know, clearly there was something going on with the balls. But 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 when you I, I, I've read <laughs> I've read plausible, you know, I've 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 read different things that suggest because of the temperature. Anyway, my point is, I was at that game and Indianapolis was not beating New England that day, no matter what. Uh, that's, yeah, that's like. Yeah, but um, certainly if you're doing something that affects the spirit of competition, then I'm not on board with that. I, I want to make that abundantly clear to our listeners. Uh, I don't know if you guys have been on Twitter during this, but uh, Antonio Brown has been accused of sexually assaulting his former trainer, according to a lawsuit filed Tuesday. No way. Uh, it's There are some uh, details that I will not uh, read on here that are... Uh, okay. I don't know I what the this. Uh, right word is, but uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, well, you know, I, I don't think it's appropriate to make any, uh, you know, anyway. Okay. You can read that after the uh, a bit of breaking news. By the way, on the baseball thing, I, I last thing I agree. I mean, you know, when baseball was fun was the mid nineties. <laughs> <laughs> I really That's enjoyed fair. baseball. It was like these guys faces were exploding and they were hitting 75 home runs. I'll sign up for that. Our Phillies coverage right now is awesome. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and, Fantastic. And I'll, I'll also say – I don't know if you guys listen to that podcast that they have, but it's pretty good. Everybody awesome. hits, yeah, except for the host. Yeah, yeah I like terrible. a couple of the people. I on. totally agree. When, when they have Megan on and you get Matt and Megan, that's really when it gets good. Yeah. But, uh, but, and, and Matt and Megan both do an awesome job. But I'll, I'll say it's, it's especially cool logging on and like seeing Ken Rosenthal chime in on our website. That's, that's a treat to read. Well, I think it's uh, I, I agree with everything you said, and I feel like in the next month, um, you know, I think our reporters are very uh, Matt and Megan are very plugged in and our national writers are very plugged in. And I feel like they could just be like unlo- un- unloading some masterpieces here, yeah. depending on how the next, uh, I guess, next several weeks go. All right. Okay. Whew, that was a doozy. You guys hung in there. All right. That'll do it for this episode of birds with friends we'll be back on friday with a preview of the falcons game for uh zach and she'll also on friday we will get zach's uh, travel tips to asia so stay tuned for that <laughs> and, and atlanta as well <laughs> and atlanta so uh we'll talk to you then for zach and she'll as o- i'm Bo, and as always we love you